Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Bator of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons, but we are sisters. And I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. Today is our third episode of the movie series. So, of course, we watched The Search for Spock. We are searching away, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) But before we jump into this... And we're only going to say that ten more times. Before we jump into this. And then also before... And then before... (laughs) And before we die, we launch ourselves into Genesis. (laughs) Okay, what's our first thing, Rihanna? Our first thing is, of course, our shout-outs. Whoa! And today, our shout-out is from the Funniest Frontier podcast. Classic. They have a wonderful picture on their Twitter of, like, a Lower Decks version of themselves. It's really cute. And a while back when we were on the Nerd Trek podcast, they shared a tweet that said, two really great podcasts, check them out. And then we were like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. And he says, you're very welcome. I really like your show. I enjoy the themes you come up with yes so thank you we work really hard on our themes and honestly like it's mostly what i'm thinking about when it's my turn to pick a theme like the entire time we're doing a series part of me is like okay what's the next theme so i just appreciate that someone else appreciates our themes yeah i agree and honestly throughout the year we will just randomly come up with themes and we have a long list of things that we want to eventually get to so Uh, Thanks for calling us out in a good way, Funniest Frontier. (laughs) And you all should check out their podcast as well. Heck yeah. And follow them on Twitter. Oh yeah, they post some fire memes, so. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I have a question, Rihanna. Mm -hmm. So, the search for Spock, when did we see it for the first time? And what were your memories of it after your first viewing? So I think we're still in Georgia days. As what, as far as I recall, we watched a ton. I don't think we watched every single Star Trek fo- film there, original series film, but we might have, honestly. I think we marathoned it. So a lot of my memories are going to be similar of me sitting on the same couch. I was the same age and everything, but what I mostly remember about Search for Spock is one, of course, being overjoyed that Spock was back, and two, being very confused. This movie made no sense to me as a kid. I didn't really get what was going on with Spock, why he was like a teenager. I kind of understood, but I remember mostly my focus was just so deeply on wanting Spock to be alive and back to his regular self that I remember being a little disappointed with this movie, mostly because things weren't as they were before. And this movie does sort of provide a transitional phase in the Star Trek films. And I think that kind of irritated me because I just wanted our good old Spock back. And of course, we will never get that Spock back again. And so I think I was a little confused by that and a little irritated and also just weirded out by the growing up Spock scenes where he's like <laughs> just yelling and like, ah, you know, <laughs> that's all I really remember of it, sadly. What about you, Ashlyn? What was your first 
recollection of this film. Yeah, well, same as you. We were indeed in Georgia, so this part of the podcast won't be that exciting for (laughs) the next couple films. (laughs) But what I do remember is that I was just waiting for Spock to come back because I knew it was called The Search for Spock, and so obviously he's going to come back. And I remember feeling pretty anxious throughout the entire film because I was just waiting for Spock to come back. And also, they have a lot of teasers throughout the movie where you think he's going to come back. And it's like, oh, like someone broke into the quarters. It's Spock. And then it wasn't Spock. It was McCoy. What the heck? You know? Um, (laughs) Or like, oh, there's a life form on the planet. Let's go open up the coffin. It must be Spock. Oh, it's like some bugs, you know? Oh, bugs in a robe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I remember being just like kind of on edge throughout this movie, waiting for Spock to come back. And I really remember McCoy and how he was acting weird this whole movie. And then I remember laughing at the end when they're doing the like mind transfusion of Spock. <laughs> yeah, but then I don't really remember anything else. Although, I do remember being very sad that the Enterprise was exploded, but no impression about the Klingons or any other part of the movie. It was just mostly major points and where the F is Spock. (laughs) I feel like a lot of people we talked to maybe have this similar impression from the first time they saw this film. And I'm curious, you know, if any of you have a story you want to share, just hit us up on social media because I'm curious what other people thought of this movie going into it because it is very different from the other Star Trek films that we're going to be talking about. Yeah, and ones we've already talked about. Yeah, and because it's the only one that directly follows the movie prior. I don't, directly. <laughs> I don't know. For me, I kind of think of Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock, and Voyage Home as a trilogy. You know, that's a good point because they're still on the Bird of Prey and Voyage Home. It is, does directly follow as well. That's a very, very good point. Yeah. I like that. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about some of the background before we yeah. dive into the plot of this. Please. So as you said, Rihanna, I mean, this is a direct sequel to Wrath of Khan and It all has to do with Nimoy. I talked about this a lot on the last podcast, but Nimoy at the last minute changed his mind and said, I do want to join up for the other movies, but only if I get to direct the next one. And I think the people at Paramount and everybody working at Star Trek at the time was just thinking, okay, I mean, it's Leonard Nimoy. Let's just let him do it and see what he can come up with. And also the studios were saying you know, what was great about Wrath of Khan is that we made a lot of money on a cheap budget. And so if you can do that again, then we have ourselves a deal. And so you'll notice throughout the movie, there is not a lot of special effects or anything crazy going on throughout the movie. And I think honestly, to its benefit, because I think it really ages well, because they weren't trying to do anything super crazy this is a movie I can watch today and not be like gasping about how bad the effects are. And so that was the two stipulations. Nimoy will return if he can direct and do it cheaply. There was not a lot of time between Wrath of Khan and Search for Spock. Wrath of Khan was released in 1982 and then Search for Spock came out just two years later in 1984. And so they pretty much went directly into filming this movie 
and there wasn't a lot of drama. They just did it. Something that they were still struggling with was leaks and, you know, people leaking like what the plot was going to be or people going to the set to take pictures about what was happening because everyone was so excited to see what was going to happen in Star Trek. And so I think partially like the reason that they named it Search for Spock was kind of to make everybody calm down. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. That's right. Yeah. You know, just to say, hey, it's just like, stop, just like calm down. It's going to be okay. You're getting another movie and it's gonna be fine so yeah that's that's pretty much it there's not a lot of drama that happened between these movies it was kind of just point a to point b something that i want to mention because i talked about how there's so many spock fake outs throughout this movie the very first one comes at the beginning of the film so we and i i, I do want to talk about this opening sequence in a second but yeah. once you know so there's the opening sequence and then we get to the main credits where it has the song and everybody's name And it does say at the very end, directed by Leonard Nimoy. And so this, I think, is the first opportunity that the movie is taking to soothe the audience and say, okay, guys, I'm sorry you didn't see Spock's name in the credits, but now you see Leonard Nimoy as a director. And so you have to trust that the film is going to go in the right direction because we still have his name on the film Mm. in some point. I remember even for me as a kid thinking, okay, I'm a little relieved, you know? Yeah. Because what does the Star Trek cast look like without Spock? It's it's just, <laughs> Not, it's missing something. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So I definitely think that they took that opportunity to surprise people if they didn't already know going in and to reassure them that even though Spock is gone, his spirit still remains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, I think that's cool because it feels like these days every actor gets sort of, or a lot of actors get a chance to be in the director's chair. I feel like I've seen so many episodes of The Flash where it's directed by one of the actors. And I'm like, that's cool, I guess. Random. I didn't know they had a directing experience. And so I think that's way more common today than it was back when Search for Spock was coming out. This must have been Leonard Nimoy's directorial debut. It was. It was his debut, Rihanna. Good point. Well, and I think Star Trek and just nerdum in general, it does better if someone at the helm is someone who knows about Star Trek or knows about the lore that's happening. So, I mean, now we see all the time that like Next Generation episodes were True. being directed by LeVar Burton and Jonathan Frakes, who of course has continued to go on to direct like so many star trek things (laughs) so i think this definitely starts the trend of that i mean we're gonna talk about in two weeks um the final frontier is directed by william shatner Mm -hmm. and so i think at this point it also helps the movie to make money if the name is someone who's really big even if they're not known as a director someone like leonard nimoy i'm gonna go see any leonard nimoy film even if it's not Star Trek. And he did do non-Star Trek films. Wow. Which I haven't seen. <laughs> um, but <laughs> fair. Me neither. I didn't yeah. even know he did it. <laughs> yeah, but I am really interested. And like, he's a big name. So it's someone that would draw me in, even if I knew nothing about the movie. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So that being said, I do want to talk about the very start of this movie because, you know, so far the tradition has been you just start the movie with the credits and the main song and that's it. And then we start the plot. 
But this one, you have a replay of the end of Wrath of Khan. So you see the tragically Gohan. so awful scene. How dare they, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> of, of Spock dying in the radiation chamber. I'm wondering what you think they were trying to do here, Rihanna, artistically, what Nimoy was trying to do, because it starts off as a little blue box that then grows oh, yeah. and gets bigger. <laughs> And the color goes from being blue to gray to color. And it turns to color when Kirk is at Spock's funeral and he's giving the speech about, of all the souls I've ever known, Spock was the most human. Human. (laughs) Human. (laughs) And so I'm wondering for you, because I have my own ideas, but I'm wondering, Rihanna, what do you think he was trying to do with that? It felt very much like I was watching a movie. Like, it really put me in the moment of, oh, hey, like it's movie time i don't know i think that that was the only thing i really recognized about this otherwise i was a little like okay but we just saw this we know what's happening i know it's so important to have a recap for the audience coming in when this movie is coming out like a year later or whatever two years later yeah years later yeah when this movie is coming out two years later so obviously it's very essential to recapture the feelings and the moments from Wrath of Khan. So I think that's sort of what he was trying to accomplish is to get you back in that headspace of, hey, remember this tragic ending? Let's show it again. But honestly, I don't really know about the box thing. I feel like it was mostly, it felt to me like a show of, we're at the cinema, we're about to do this whole movie thing. And so it felt very, like we're watching a little screen. I don't know though, beyond that, have no clue. What do you think, Ashlyn? Well, my only guess is I got similar vibes from you that it was obviously reminding the audience like, oh, you haven't seen this movie in two years. Here's what happened in case you mm-hmm. forgot about the most like the historic <laughs> scene in Star Trek. But I was kind of wondering if it was a reference to how Star Trek used to be a TV show, like mm. on the small screen, and then we're like making it big for you, you know? That's cute. I like that idea. I don't know, though. I have more of an idea like for the color choices um, mm. that they put on the film because I thought the timing of Kirk, you know, giving the speech and that's when it's actually in full color was very deliberate because I think that's the headspace that Kirk is in right now. Like that's when reality really hit him was at the funeral. And it's telling the audience that this is where Kirk is at the beginning of this film. He's stuck in the past and he's stuck thinking about Spock. And he's dealing with this very grim reality. And this blue-gray film that we see is what he's been replaying over and over. Ashlyn, I think that's beautiful. And I think it also reminds us, because the Wrath of Khan ended, of course, tragically, but also with a note of happiness and of hope. With Kirk saying, I feel young. <laughs> and, so, and Genesis is like born, which yeah. is, yeah. Yeah, yeah which the is birth nice. of a new planet, all of this stuff. And so... I feel like this brings us back to the fact that we're not all sunshine and roses here. We are still in the grieving period of Spock's death. Kirk is still very much in it, and all of our characters are. And I think you're absolutely right. This grounds the audience a bit more into the tragedy and less on the Genesis glory, I guess. 
Yeah, and it does bring me emotionally right back to where I was at the end of Wrath of Khan, exactly what you're saying, Rihanna. So mm-hmm. then when you see these characters mourning the whole film, essentially, I'm mourning right there with them, and I'm so sad. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's a good baseline to start everybody off at. Absolutely. And can I just say that seeing Mark Leonard as Sarek in the opening titles was so amazing. Yes. Like, this is just, because he played the original Sarek, right? Yeah, in Journey to yeah, Babel. of course. So, and he comes back in The Next Generation. He's just such a legend in Star Trek, and I think he often gets overshadowed by, like, Jeffrey Combs or, like, characters <laughs> who come later who are constantly in Star Trek. But he plays the same character through this longevity, you know? And I just, I want to give a shout out to Mark Leonard. I don't know if he's still living, but he's just effing amazing. And I love the way that he plays Sarek. I feel like we've had a lot of iterations of Sarek in Star Trek and his is just so classic. And it's so like the relationship that I understand him and Spock to have because, you know, Discovery changes that a bit and adds its own little flair, which is totally fine. But it is really cool to see him back in this role as Sarek where, yeah, we got him a little bit in the original series, but we're really getting to see him more deeply in this film. And I'm just so overjoyed that they were able to get him for this. Yeah, so Mark Leonard, this is the first time that we're seeing him since Journey to Babel. And he did play other roles on the original series, but not always Spock's father. What? Yeah. He, they, <laughs> How did I not know this? They put him in makeup um, and he just, you know, always looks good. <laughs> yeah. um, he was the first actor to play a Klingon with forehead ridges, actually. What? Um, yeah, he was actually in the motion picture. Excuse me? Yep. <laughs> you were teaching me all of this new stuff. Yes. He wanted to be in the motion picture, but they said, we don't need Sarek to be here. Fair. And so they gave him the roles of Klingon instead. And okay. he was asking to be in all of the movies. And finally, oh. in Search for Spock, they were like, now we're ready. <laughs> he was the first choice to play Abraham Lincoln in The Savage <gasps> Curtain. Oh my God. <laughs> But he did not end up playing him. Hmm. I believe he was also a Romulan as well. I feel like I've seen him in pictures with those Hmm. ears on. Let me just double check. Those ears on, the same ear. Oh yeah, he was in Balance of Terror. Wow. As a a Romulan commander. Yeah. So he's got range is what you're saying. Oh yeah. I mean, he's been every species except human. (laughs) (laughs) Like Mark Leonard walked so Jeffrey Combs could run is what you're saying. Oh, Rihanna. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Well, and I'm really happy to see him here because this is another instance of the movies reaching back to take an episode from the TV show that was so special and awesome. And especially that Journey to Babel episode really set up so much about Spock and his background that it makes sense that you bring his father back when he passes away. Absolutely. Where's Amanda? (laughs) This is the question I'm asking the whole movie. Literally, I feel like she got gypped. I don't know if they could get the same actor. We obviously see Amanda in Voyage Home, so there's really no excuse, in my opinion, why she's not here. And she's not at the end, even on Vulcan, when no. he's having no. his body, like, <laughs> transferred. He's a mind transplant, as Ashley calls it. <laughs> or transfusion, or whatever. Um, yeah, this is completely... Um, slander in my opinion and amanda constantly deserves better and i'm like frankly pissed (laughs) about this 
Yeah, I I don't know. I, I'm a guessing. I don't know for sure. I'm guessing it's something like couldn't get her. Maybe she was busy. <laughs> I don't know. Just put someone else in the, her place then. I mean, I know it would have been weird with Mark Leonard back and not the same actor as Amanda, but please, I'm yeah. begging you. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. That part was bizarre, but... So the first scene on the Enterprise that we see uh, is in present day... And it's very somber. The mood is not a happy one. Kirk has a line that's like, it feels like a house with all the children gone, you know, and they're reflecting on they're all old. Even though Kirk just felt young, he feels old again. Yeah. (laughs) We're always back to square one with Kirk and aging here. (laughs) Yeah, he's just always struggling. He comes to terms with it, and then his arc gets reset at the beginning of the next movie. (laughs) That's so true. Yeah, this... I feel like the whole first part of this film feels very disjointed because we're going back and forth between David and Savick exploring the Genesis planet and Kirk mourning and grieving and having time on the Enterprise with the other characters and then we go to the Klingons. So I feel like these first couple scenes are meant to throw us off in a way that feels very uncomfortable to me. I was just feeling like we're jumping around so much. We've got a whole cast of characters going and they're all in different places. Not all, obviously our whole Enterprise crew is together, but we've got this like weird Klingon plot starting and we've got the David and Savick plot. And so I felt like nothing was really tied together that well in the beginning and it felt very much like there was a piece missing. And it was Spock, of course. Well, you're supposed to feel that way. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. For me, I felt like this movie chooses a very simple plot. And these scenes in the beginning are just introducing the players. So like you so nicely said, Rihanna, we have Christopher Lloyd as our main Klingon villain. Doc! (laughs) What? 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 Why? Isn't he like a comedic actor? Yeah, exactly. You took the words out of my mouth. He's a comedic actor. Why make him like shout Klingon at his people? I I don't know. I feel like get a rando who's also very talented and is better at being dramatic. I don't know. It just didn't feel right. I mean, it's it's not like he's a bad actor in this role. I think he's like one of the better Klingon villains that we're going to get in all these movies. (laughs) That's kind of sad to say. I know. You're right. But I think this movie's also contending with Khan and the hole that Khan left as such an amazing, fantastic villain from the last film. And so it's kind of unfair to Christopher Lloyd to follow Ricardo Montalban, you know? Yeah, that's a horrible act to follow. Yeah, and I think that Harve Bennett and everyone else on the team thought, all right, let's have the Klingons be the villains. Because I think it's very sad that Klingons are just always assumed to be like the villains. When they need someone to attack the Enterprise, they're like, oh, it's the Klingons because they just like violence. Yeah, I know. I feel like this is something that always falls short in the films is because we don't have a fleshed out idea of Klingon culture yet. Yes, they know about the honor and that kind of stuff, but because they're not part of the Federation yet, because we don't have this whole switch in next gen where we get all of these fantastic Klingon episodes that really explore Klingon culture and all of this stuff, we're just getting the generic villain Klingon in these movies. And it's hard. It's hard to watch now knowing, like being such a huge fan of of all Trek and knowing how incredible the Klingons are. I'm like, this just does not do them justice at all. And obviously it's fine that they're the villains because that's the time period. Like 
literally story-wise, but it is sort of frustrating because I feel like they could be really good villains if we had a more fleshed-out Klingon culture, but we just don't yet. (laughs) Well, and I would have loved, like, if Kirk had accidentally killed, like, Christopher Boyd's son, you know, and then they're both out for, like, son vengeance, you know, (laughs) for this movie. I Just, like, (laughs) any type of motivation would have made it a little bit better, but isn't it the motivation just like he wants to attack Kirk because it it would make him really honorable if he took well, down... That and he wants Genesis. Yeah, I feel like it just works out that they're both together. So he's like, oh, yay, this will be really good yeah. for the Klingon Empire. Right. And so we know at this point, I think the houses are still in turmoil. There's still a lot going on at the Klingon High Command that is like not great and so i think there are a lot of klingons out there who are just trying to prove themselves in these katanga class birds of prey that just sort of want to demonstrate their prowess and their honor and there isn't a lot of unity within the houses so i feel like that's also sort of a disjointedness in this film but obviously we don't really get that i just know that because i'm a star trek nerd (laughs) yeah i don't i didn't get any of that at all yeah I also think that we're trapped in an era that is so overshadowed by Star Wars still, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, something that Star Wars does so well is it's very black and white. You hate the Empire and there's no shades of gray. There's no, you know, until the end where you're like, oh, it's his father. Spoiler for Star Wars, sorry. (laughs) Um, But there's no moments throughout any of the films really where you're just like oh but like this one stormtrooper is nice like right. no there's nothing no. it's it's very black and white and so i think with the klingons they're trying to go for a similar thing where you see a klingon or a bird of prey and you know it's bad mm-hmm. and the problem is that star trek is more intelligent than that not that i'm i'm not calling star wars unintelligent i'm just saying that they just chose a different path yeah and also, I'm just, like, needing any kind of motivation with the yeah. Klingons. And it's fine that they want Genesis. That makes sense. But, like, tell me more. Yeah, I mean, I want to know, because obviously we know that Genesis can be used as a mass a weapon of mass destruction. So we know that that would be very useful to the Klingons. But they also have cloaking and they have photon torpedoes. They have quite a lot of firepower already. So I'm like, is this a plan to attack Earth? Is this a plan to strike a blow to the Federation? You know, is it, like... Probably I want something all bigger of it, scale. I, I don't know. You know yeah. like, is he just going to bring it back to the Empire and be like, look, I have a planet killer. You know, like, <laughs> what? Yeah, it just seems like the stakes are weirdly not high enough because Spock is the center of this. Because we're mostly searching for Spock. We're not searching for Doc to get the Genesis weapon, you know? <laughs> I think Doc is searching for Marty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think this is an alternate universe where his time machine went really wrong and he got stuck in the future and he was like, uh, just, you know, F. I mean, literally, Ashlyn and our mom and my partner and all of us watched The Search for Spock together. So I remember Ashlyn saying during this movie, she's like, is this Back to the Future 6? <laughs> yeah. Like I was saying, something I do really appreciate about this, though, is the simplicity mm-hmm. of this plot, especially seeing everything that's going on on the Genesis planet. And we have a ship there that has David, I almost said Anilea, LOL, <laughs> um, that has Savik and David. And David also, talk about an arc reset, because all of a sudden, he is so excited to be working with Starfleet. 
and give them all the information he can about Genesis. Whereas before, he was just up in arms about not giving away any secrets and Federations are dogs and they hate scientists. And now, when the Federation is acting arguably much worse, he's like, woo, like, let's go do the science. I truly think it comes from a lack of writing for David combined with the fact that Carol's just not in this movie. Yeah. I think that his compass is completely off. He doesn't even have Kirk really because Kirk just left him again. He's like, <laughs> let's be let's be father and son. And then they never actually, sadly, never get to see each other again. Ooh. Ooh. Ouch. Ooh. Um, we'll get to that. But I just, I feel like David is going through a really interesting time in his life where suddenly his mom's vanished. We don't know where Carol went, which is all another injustice that these women are continuously going through um okay i'm saying it right now halt the podcast rihanna this is star Mm -hmm. trek the search for moms (laughs) you're so right where's amanda where's carol (laughs) yeah it's just complete injustice and i feel like this creates a lot of questions for me about david's motivations to do anything i think that truly he just wants to hang out on the genesis planet and like do science and the only way he knows to do that is to work with starfleet yeah and savik because savik is cool and we really got to know and love her in wrath of khan and then they just switched out the actresses on us (laughs) yeah she looks real different i was like I was gonna be like Kirk like did you change your hair (laughs) (laughs) and then I'm like wait she changed her whole appearance (laughs) yeah so we have a new Savick in this movie Kirstie Alley was Savick in Wrath of Khan and now we have Robin Curtis and the reason is money Kirstie Alley wanted to come back but asked for too much money and they said no so they got someone else who would do it for cheaper and this was the same thing that happened with Carol Marcus. B.B. Besh, she asked to be paid more to come back for Search for Spock because she said, oh, I'm kind of like an essential Star Trek character now. And they oh. said, no, you're not. <laughs> That's savage. It is. It's savage. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is savage. And it just reminds you that they were trying to do this super, super cheaply. And so they were at the point where they would completely rewrite Carol out of the script. And that includes... Kirk taking her place in the Genesis video. Like, they didn't even keep the same video of Carol saying, like, this is Genesis. Instead, Kirk is like, hi, I'm Kirk, and this is Genesis. Yeah, this part was some BS, because literally we talked so much in our last episode about how epic Carol is, the fact that she headed this project, the Genesis project, she was at the forefront, she was this incredible scientist, and then it's like she doesn't even exist. It's awful. Yeah! Yeah, it's crazy. I thought it was really bold to redo the video without her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know that plot-wise, they were like, it'll be a way for this Klingon to recognize Kirk. And I'm like, okay, really? He's a famous admiral. There's so many other ways you could have done that by keeping Carol's video in. Brianna, they didn't want to work that hard. They just said, yeah. let's have an easy solution. I mean, even David should have done the video, honestly. Thank you, right? Well, Where is it Kirk? And it's funny because when my little middle school school self was watching this movie i didn't even, i knew nothing about like actors or yeah money or any i n- none of the behind the scenes stuff but what i was thinking was that maybe it was starfleet protocol this was such a secret topic that you had to destroy the video that you received and you had to re-record it yourself <laughs> 
Actually, I think that's the best explanation. <laughs> like, if we're looking just from a story point, because that's the only thing that makes sense to me. I mean, my little brain was like, yeah, this sounds good. That tracks. <laughs> Yeah, and that's sort of the sad part of it is that like our brain can mentally just take out the parts with Carol and that just makes it even more depressing almost. And I I know this might not be a feminist issue, but I still I think of a lot of things through a feminist lens and I'm like, are you serious? Like these women are just asking for a little more money to be in it. It's just like, nope, you're not important enough, but let's bring David back. I know. You know I'm like, I feel like Carol's way more important than David, but that's just me. <laughs> and the answer is just that probably, I mean, yeah, I also was wondering too, like, is it a feminist issue? Did they just not prioritize the women? But I think probably Merritt Buttrick, poor guy. Oh. Um, <laughs> I think probably... Merritt Buttrick just knew how much money to ask for, you know? <laughs> Maybe. But then you think about Uhura, who's barely in this movie. Mm-hmm. And that literally even Christy Alley isn't even the same, you know, like, it's, isn't even it's in there. It's not even like, the same Savic. And what's kind of sad is, like, I forgot that it's a different Savic. Like, when watching this movie again, I was just like, all right, she changed her hair. It's, like, a little more crazy. That's it. You know, I didn't even think about the fact that, like, this could be a whole different woman. <laughs> That's sort of crazy. Yeah, well, I think, like, you know, dark-haired lady with ears on. Yeah. Easy to replace, I guess. Yeah, but I'm just, I was mad about that, too, with Ahura being completely almost absent from this film, besides in the beginning where she gets to be badass for one minute, which is cool. That, it's an amazing moment. That Don't moment get me wrong. was awesome. And we yeah. do see her at the end when they're on True. Vulcan. But, but all she does is smile. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, are you serious? I just feel like... If they had paid a little bit more for these women, it could have been an even more epic film. And I feel like all three of those women, with Amanda, Carol, and Ahura being in more of the forefront, also probably would have gotten stuff done a lot faster. <laughs> like, because Carol knows back to front what's going on with the Genesis planet, and she would have probably, like, slapped David for adding in that molecule or that... The protomatter? Uh, the protomatter, yeah. <laughs> like... She See, probably would have set him straight. No, Rihanna, I think he did that secretly without telling her. I know, but she would have smacked it when she found <laughs> out. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You dummy, like, what are you thinking? Yeah, yeah. Like, there was no one there to sort of, like, be the consequence for David. He's just like, I did it. I mean, I guess that the consequence was the planet didn't survive and Genesis was a failure, but... Loki, his life. Ugh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, we do see another woman for one second, and that's Ooh. Janice Rand. Another yes. callback from the original series. She was Kirk's yeoman. And uh, what's her name? I love her. She's awesome. She was in motion picture as well. Grace Lee Whitney, of course. Yeah, so this was also tragic because she was supposed to be in more of the movie, but it was cut down to basically remove her. Mm, so really, if you don't know who Rand is, like if you've never seen the original series, it looks just like a random woman. But the scene that we see her in, I thought was actually really cool. It's when the Enterprise comes back to Earth and is on the space station. It must be like Starbase One <laughs> because it's <laughs> it's the one right on Earth. And it's really kind of humbling because the Enterprise is pulling into space dock and it is wrecked. I mean, you see all of the scars that Khan gave it and how mm -hmm. it's just kind of dragging itself in on impulse. And you see Janice Rand, she's looking at it and she like covers her face. She's like, oh my God, this is my ship, you know? Mm -hmm. I really want to see her yeah. and like see her interact with the crew and everything. But I thought 
for, you know, deep Star Trek fans who know who she is. I thought that was a cool moment to see someone who knows the Enterprise in its prime and then to understand that they have gone through so much and this crew is bearing such a heavy burden with the loss of Spock and almost the loss of the Enterprise. I mean, truly, they said that her day is over about the Enterprise. They said that we're not going to rebuild her. They're not going to continue that line. And so that's devastating to hear. I mean, no wonder. I mean, like, I'm like Rand, too. I'm just putting my head in my hands because it's just awful to see. Yeah, seriously. And I thought that this was an interesting way to introduce a new flagship. And this is something we haven't seen so far in Star Trek. And this is something else that becomes a trendsetter in the rest of the movies is, okay, like, let's see some other ships than just the Enterprise. And so this is the introduction of the Excelsior. Woo! Excelsior. Yeah. <laughs> um, Literally, I can only think about Sulu. Well, yeah, because as soon as he sees that ship, he gets really excited and he's like, I like the look of her. <laughs> he's like, gonna marry her. <laughs> like, I love her. The only female that Sulu will ever marry is, <laughs> exactly. is the Excelsior. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yes. And I really do like the Excelsior as a ship. It's pretty epic. I hate the captain. The current, the current captain is awful. Um, I'm trying to, also I'm looking at my notes. I said Starbase question mark. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think I asked you when Rihanna and I, because we watched this together on Zoom and I think I said, Rihanna, what Starbase is this? And you were like, I don't know, I missed it. And then mom and Brianna were like, oh, you nerds. Like, why why do you care about what Starbase this is? But so that's why I made the comment earlier. I was like, it must be one because... Yeah, because who knows? Like, Starbase Zero? I don't know. Yeah, the Excelsior guy is terrible, but this also sets up a funny scene that's gonna happen, like, later in the movie. We meet the Excelsior captain. He's terrible. He tells Scotty, don't even start working on the Enterprise because she's gonna be hauled away as garbage and then <gasps> scotty punched him oh wait no sorry i'm thinking about trouble with troubles <laughs> my bad <laughs> ashley that was brilliant <laughs> uh, um but yeah so can we talk about the scene where there's an intruder alert intruder alert <laughs> intruder <Yeah>. alert <laughs> absolutely so you're right this is the first fake out or the second or third or whatever we're feeling i honestly it's like the third <laughs> fake out yeah yeah um because we already know spock's body's on genesis but we're like oh, a intruder it's spock's quarters and i just gotta compliment the heck out of deforest kelly in this scene because it is like i got chills watching and i always do whenever i see this scene because the way they put him in profile and shadow. It sounded exactly like Leonard Nimoy's voice. I don't know if they did a little bit of like They did. They, du- they dubbed it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. I was like, there's no way. I mean, of course, <laughs> Kelly's talented, but he's not that. He's not a voice actor. He's not like an impersonator. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's like, I do a really good Leonard Nimoy impression. <laughs> Um, but this is still just brilliant and it gives me such chills to see McCoy in this sort of Spockish role and to see him acting so much like Spock but this this weird combination of Spock and McCoy it's just brilliant and I think that this is one of the things I love most about 
search for Spock is this entire plot with McCoy. Because, of course, it's McCoy who gets Spock's Katra. Are you kidding me? They are always at odds ends with each other. Their love language is arguing. <laughs> like, literally, the way that they are friends is just their banter. And so, to see McCoy at this inner turmoil with himself because he's got Spock I almost said Spock inside him, but that's, that's too dirty. Uh, maybe, maybe not in this maybe movie. Maybe later. Yeah. <laughs> not in front of the Klingons. <laughs> He's got Spock's Katra in his head, and so he is, like, really going through it, and he's also, I think, finally starting to realize Spock's essence and maybe some of Spock's own trials he went through being half Vulcan, half human, and maybe, I think it opens McCoy's eyes. Of course, we see in later movies, he still jibes the heck out of him, and he's unrelenting in his burns, but I think it does give McCoy a deeper appreciation for Spock. I mean, if the trio wasn't already cemented before this movie, which, like, if of course already was, it just more deeply ingrains the three of them more than ever. And I think exactly right, Rihanna, like for all of the stuff that McCoy calls Spock out on for his whole life, I think that this is the first time that McCoy really understands what it's like to have two warring sides of yourself happening inside your head at all times. And this is what Spock does his whole life. He's always trying to fight with his human side, although given his human side might not be as feisty as McCoy. Um, mm, I don't know. I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm displaying multiple attitudes. To which are you referring? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I think this definitely gives McCoy a moment to pause and reflect on everything that Spock has gone through. And I totally agree with you that this is, I think my favorite part of the movie is any time DeForest Kelly is on screen. And I think we get another chance to see him in the spotlight doing something really incredible because he does exude Spock, especially the scene where he's in the bar and he's talking to, I mean, let's be honest, he's in the cantina. I was just going to say that. Um, yeah, yeah, Han Solo's in the bathroom. And yeah, he's first. Yeah, yeah, he's looking for a ship to get himself to Alderaan. Oh, I'm so, so <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. I just, you know, the movies all blend together at this point. Yeah. He's trying to get to Mount Salaya. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I feel like this is me every summer when I want to like climb some 14ers. I'm like, I need to go to Mount Elbert. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, and to those of you who don't know, a 14er is a Colorado mountain. Oh, not just any Colorado 14, mountain. 000. Yeah, it's 14,000 feet or higher. And there's like a, a cult that I'm in. <laughs> where <laughs> all, all Colorado hikers are in it. Then. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it's just like a peak bagging adventure where like how many can you hike? And there's like 56 of them, 54, depending on who you ask. It doesn't matter. Um, McCoy wants to climb his 14er and he wants to <laughs> get to the top. So, he, and he doesn't even know what he needs to do. This is the thing sh- yeah. that this is only part of the puzzle is that McCoy is like going around and he's like, I need to go to Vulcan, <laughs> but he doesn't know yeah. why. And it, like the brain in his head, Spock's brain, LOL, is not Whoa. telling him like, you need to grab my body and then you need to take it on a ship and go, to go all the way to Vulcan and call my dad, you know, like none of these details are given yeah and so thank god sarek shows up yeah because otherwise 
these puzzle pieces would not have been fit together as easily. I mean, I think Kirk knows that there's something wrong with McCoy, obviously, but he thinks he's just going a little crazy because no one saw the moment until apparently they had cameras <laughs> on the ship, but no one saw the moment previously where Spock gives McCoy his katra by saying, remember. I love and- it. I love it also because that means like all the engineers were like passed out, you know, like no one, no one was up to watch this moment happen. No, literally they were all like, because the radiation. I just feel like Sarek is such an important role because first of all, I am very mad at Sarek at first because like Kirk is going through it and he's like re-traumatizing him because he's like, oh, I'm asking you to mind meld. And it's just devastating to hear Sarek sort of accuse Kirk of saying like, where's his body? Why'd you put it on Genesis? Where did he put his Katra and everything? And Kirk's very confused. He's like, his what now? Like, what are you talking about? And then he's pretty much is coerced by Sarek to give him the memory and he sees the fact that they were separated by this glass and you can see that before Kirk realizes that McCoy has it he's devastated because I think he sort of blames himself he's like if that glass hadn't been between us like I could be carrying his Katra right now and we could have him back and so there's another extra layer of guilt that Kirk's feeling about this until of course they're like let's go to the tape and then they see that (laughs) McCoy is the one and I love too this is such a Star Trek thing we talked about this in the next gen pilot but like they just have a perfectly shot video with all of the takes and all the cuts of like who directed this it's beautiful (laughs) yeah they have someone in engineering who's just like this is for the records (laughs) yeah (laughs) like there's a record and like so okay i have so many comments about everything you said Mm -hmm. first of all so you mentioned that sarek is kind of re-traumatizing kirk i kind of think that this is a necessary thing for kirk to go through like Mm. of course no one wants to remember the traumatic event you just went through But I think it's kind of like a Harry Potter situation in the Goblet of Fire where Harry sees Voldemort return, spoiler, and Dumbledore makes him talk through every single second of it just to get it out of his system. And at the end, Harry feels like the toxin, the poison is slowly being released from his body. I'm wondering if for Kirk, it's a similar situation where he can finally share with someone exactly what he felt and experienced Like, because even McCoy was down there and like Scotty was down there, but also they are traumatized from their own experience of being. And so they have, you know, this communal tragedy that they all went through together. But I think being able to talk to someone who's also close to Spock, like Sarek, um, although close to, you know, I have relative term. Um, Go listen to our family series to hear about that. But I think it probably was, in the end, good for Kirk because talking through that is can be really beneficial, even if it's really, really hard. That's so true. And like, I do want to, you know, Dumbledore quote he says to Harry is, numbing the pain for a while will only make it worse when you finally feel it. And so I think that that is a very good point. Yes. So that's number one. Thanks for my Harry Potter kind of stroll stroll down Potter Lane here. (laughs) Um, I just want to mention that I think if this was Janeway, she would know exactly, like if Tuvok died on Voyager, she would be like, okay, everybody, grab his body. We're going to Vulcan. (laughs) (laughs) Or like right as he's dying, she's like, give it here, give it here. Because captains later on in Star Trek are extremely knowledgeable and have all of these traditions memorized of everyone who's on their crew. Yeah, I mean, Picard's like, is this the Patron Lights Festival this weekend? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Literally, he's recommending to Worf, like, oh, go down this, like, the celebration of the new year on this planet today. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. You know, I think that's a really good point and a quick to say a testament to how Starfleet has grown because Spock was for a while the only Vulcan in Starfleet. And so people didn't even know how to treat him. Bones was the only one who knew how to even be his doctor, which is so dangerous. I mean, I guess Mimbago was there, but he's not a huge part of the original series. Not yet. Woo woo. <laughs> and so strange just, new worlds coming soon <laughs> woo, woo, woo. i feel like that is a huge gap in starfleet and something that does create a lot of problems for spock in general but also for any other aliens who are aboard because starfleet is so human-centric and so i think you do bring up a good point that this is starting to make kirk realize Spock was a really private person. He never really let me in. I mean, it took literally, like, Spock throwing soup and, like, being really <laughs> angry for him to finally tell Kirk about Pon Far. Like, that's, not, that's something you should definitely... I mean, I know it's very private, but, like, at least you're captain. He should know that every seven years you got to return. I mean, at but least McCoy important. should have known. That's, like, Come that's on. a secret between you and your doctor, you know? I mean, I guess it was. I guess he did have that knowledge. But McCoy didn't know. He didn't know till like halfway through the episode. I just feel like if you're a Vulcan and you're like meeting a new primary care physician, like, you know, because normal doctors ask you all these questions. It, like they always ask me, like, when was the date of your last period? You know, so yeah. like, when was the date of your last pond far? <laughs> there you go. You know, like, so then Spock's like, the let me look at my yeah. phone to remember. <laughs> <laughs> He's a little app that's like pond far. Pond far in two years. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just feel like that's an essential thing that they're missing and something that can be a detriment because Vulcans are so private about their health and about their ceremonies. And also we learned, too, that this Katra ritual hasn't been done in thousands of years. years. Yeah, so Spock is one of a kind. The reason that this is such a specific thing and so, like, shocking is that Spock's body was regenerated on Genesis. And so Mm -hmm. normally, because I'm kind of wondering, once we hear about this whole ceremony, then why the heck don't they always do this, you know? But obviously it's because the body body has decayed. Yeah, Um, and so I think it is... uh, Probably the ceremony they do in the Katragark, you know, because like they literally have a place for Katras. I think that's done for maybe a transferal to one of a Vulcan master, maybe, or so that their memory lives on through someone else, but not through their body, you is know, my guess. What's funny is I always, even since I was a kid, and actually right now, I kind of thought that they would just like upload it to the cloud you know like <laughs> there's a like area in Vulcan that has like all the consciousnesses and they're just like hanging out together I mean that's kind of what the Katragark is I think that's what but it I don't seems think it's like. like a computer I think it's more like ancient but well, I mean they yeah, are scientists yeah so not maybe. not a computer but like I don't know I just thought that the memory was just like transferred to the heavens <laughs> I think so I think that's actually like about as close of a definition as we can get wow yeah. But I'm not positive. So, okay, and then the and then the last thing that I was going to bring up before we can move on is that Kirk of course, so everyone knows that Kirk and Spock are inseparable. Mm-hmm. And so it's so awful that the only thing that can separate them in the end is mm-hmm. that glass between them. And Kirk would have done anything to get to him. And especially if he had known about the Katra, I think he would have been like losing his mind to be like, let me in. Literally. Yeah. And so I'm so glad that the Enterprise decided to install cameras for this mission because God knows there's been no cameras before this. 
<laughs> I mean, maybe because it was supposed to be a training mission, so maybe they wanted to like film the trainees to be like, let's go back to the tape and see what you did wrong here. <laughs> or Starfleet like updated their manual and was like, okay, we got to start putting cameras on here because so many people break onto the Enterprise and take control of it, and they can't just be like, show me the engine room, you know? Yeah, they, they heard all of Kirk's uh, captain's logs were like, we can't find the intruder. Yeah, it's like, you dummies. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so I'm glad they had a film. And, um, yeah. Well, and I just wanted to say, too, like, I think Kirk would have just died of happiness to have his Katra because he calls Spock, quote, the noblest part of myself. (laughs) It just sucks. I mean, they're just besties. Yeah. Yeah. All of this goes down, and uh, Sarek is pissed. Sarek is so mad. He's like, why did you leave the body on Genesis? And so Kirk is like, well, alrighty, there's only one thing to do. Crack, crack knuckles. <laughs> yeah. I think this is one of the most memorable scenes also from this movie is when the crew decides to go rogue and break the Enterprise out of space dock. And this requires the bridge yeah. crew to help out. And so this is when we see Ahura's awesome scene. The only scene, really, that she's in in the movie. And I really loved it because she is in a, like, she's in a transporter room with this young ensign or whatever. And he's acting like he is some hot stuff. He's totally a frat boy. Like, he's a Chad. Absolutely. Yeah. He's like, oh, I finished Starfleet in three years. I'm so cool. He's like, move away for the young ones. Like, you're you're so old. (laughs) I'm just like, excuse me? I'm like, do you even know who the F you were talking to? I was getting so angry when he was like trying to make fun of her and say like like, move over yeah as if she doesn't know how to do her job that she's been doing for like 20 years yeah 20 plus probably yeah Yeah. i was so annoyed at that kid and so thank god her she like pulls out a phaser and she's like get in the closet (laughs) and then she's like good boy what he does i'm like this is the greatest thing i've ever seen like uhura literally does not get this kind of action ever and so of course i'm furious that she's not in the rest of this movie because like that would have been amazing but i do think that this really like heightens my love for her even more you know like if that's possible yeah me too because when needed to she can really kick some booty (laughs) yeah yeah especially a a frat boy even better i love to see it (laughs) it's so good Uh, And of course, she is there because she has to transport Kirk and McCoy and Scotty and Chekhov and Sulu. Everyone. Everyone except her to the Enterprise. And so the reason that they got there was because they had to do something else. And that was break McCoy out of the loony bin, which is so insane. Like they, what? McCoy starts acting differently and you throw him like in an asylum? And literally the way that these, they're they're guards, they're not doctors or physicians or mental health providers. (laughs) They are guards guarding McCoy saying like, ah, he's a lewd. All this stuff that I'm like, are we in the dark times? Like, I feel like McCoy when he's like, assassins, (laughs) murders, you know, like, I feel like he's like, is this the goddamn dark ages? Because that's how I felt. Like, we are in the future people we don't even have asylums like that today i mean we probably still do have some anyway (laughs) um, i just feel like at this point in star trek history that should not exist that is like really dark and i feel like we never bring this up again and we need this to shut down they should have like a quick uh fly around where they just like destroy it be like you know what (laughs) 
let's liberate all the quote-unquote loonies (laughs) it's just awful and what's funny to me uh, i saw i don't know if it was a post somewhere you know i'm just drawing from my collective intelligence um Uh that i read on the internet (laughs) but if you think about it like so many of us like mental health has become a much more normalized thing especially in the past like 10 years Mm -hmm. that mental health should be treated as a physical injury you know like if someone is acting strange or not how they normally act it's probably because of a reason and it could be a chemical imbalance or it could be because they need to see a therapist and it's treated now with a lot more love and respect this post was about like if we were all alive in the 50s and was all like honest about like how anxious we are like we would all be in asylums and being treated by people who just want to experiment on us and things like that so it's interesting and like sad to see this portrayed in star trek i know they're trying to like kind of make light of it which like is not the best handling of it but i also just want to say that i'm glad that we can recognize now that this is not how we should treat people with mental problems because in this case with mccoy it's totally makes sense like this is a totally treatable problem that he has and they were just going to shut him away for the rest of his life yeah and it makes it even more insane that this is like a starfleet branch yeah exactly it makes me very concerned (laughs) yeah about like where other mental patients go trek is doing this to reflect the time in which it's coming out like the movie itself you know especially search for spock this is not a time where i mean i'm sure mental institutions were on the decrease but i'm sure that that was still pretty prevalent in the 80s and so it's interesting to see that reflect the times because like a lot of shows that are earlier on they of course even if they're futuristic they don't reflect truly what's going to happen in the future but it's like i don't think they can project the brain far enough to be like those just don't exist in the future you know i don't know it's interesting well and i think what's more archaic than the fact that there are still mental institutions is that this is supposed to be a joke you know like this is supposed to be the funny part of the movie is that, oh, McCoy's in the loony bin because he's lost his marbles, but it's not funny. And that was something that I thought was different than the times that I've watched it before. And now that I'm older and, you know, thinking to myself, like, I'd be in the loony bin if that were the case. Yeah, people with bipolar disorder, like people who are anxious or depressive, like common things that so many humans have today, like would just be tossed away without any form of treatment, which only makes it worse. So the thing I do love about this scene is that, of course, our friends, Kirk and Sulu, are here to rescue McCoy from this terrible decision to put him into the facility. And I think Sulu's Don't Call Me Tiny scene is as epic as Ahura's uh, Get yes. in the Closet scene. <laughs> yes, it's so good because we see a lot of these like randos belittling our favorite characters. And so to see them just get back at it, I'm like, don't call Sulu tiny. And then he says it and I'm like, yes. <laughs> Okay, also so good. Also, he kicks some butt. Like, this is the thing we know about Sulu is he's like a fencing champion. He's a martial artist. Like, he really knows his stuff. And so, like, it's hilarious that they think that Sulu is not a threat because he's very dangerous when he needs to be. Yeah, he's a Starfleet officer. All of them are taught, like, hand-to-hand. Well, some, no, Mm -hmm. not all of them are taught hand-to-hand combat. But, I mean, all of them. Yeah, most of them have, like, dealt with hand-to-hand combat. And also, Sulu is just, like, a master in his own. But I also thought his outfit was amazing. Okay, these looks. All of these looks. Yeah, so these looks are everything. I honestly felt like they were going to an 80s cast party, and I loved it. 
<laughs> yeah. I, you know, Halloween's coming up and there's no way I will ever convince my husband to like dress like Sulu and maybe I could dress up like as McCoy because it would be so niche, you know? <laughs> But I honestly want to buy Sulu's outfit. So if any one of our followers has leads on where can I get that like cape coat that he has, like please hit us up. Like the Dura Sisters podcast is on Twitter and Instagram. Like please call us. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and also we were watching this movie with our mom too. And she was like, this was just the like how people dressed in the 80s. She was like, this is very common and typical. And I was like, okay, like this is great. Yeah, and she said, because Kirk also has like a, a nice look. He, like, he, he looks very, uh, I don't know, like determined. He, he has like a blue jacket on or something. And it's red with the white. Yes, yes, you're right. McCoy is the blue-ish jacket. Mm -hmm. But she said that in, like, when all of her friends went to go see this in high school, everyone was, like, drooling over Kirk. And they were (laughs) like, oh, he's the hottest celeb in the world right now. And I I mean, I just can't imagine. (laughs) (laughs) And me over here, I'm drooling over Spock and Vulcan robes. So I guess to each their own. (laughs) I'm drooling over Sulu. So I I mean... (laughs) I love it. I yeah, love it. I just, I love all their off-duty uniforms are amazing. And even in, I mean, Next Generation, they all wear, like, weird pillowcases. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's truly remarkable. I love it. Um, yeah, so this breakout scene is epic the way they do it. And it's sort of fun to see Kirk and company go rogue, you know, and have this sort of moment where they're defying Starfleet orders, where they're breaking out the Enterprise, breaking out McCoy, and waiting for those doors to open for the Enterprise to get out of the station. It's just like the tension mixed with the humor is a really fun combination because this isn't the most tentious part of the film, you know, it's the breaking out part. It's just sort of the goofy fun part. And so it is sort of fun to see them go rogue like this. I love it. Yeah, it feels very original series in some circumstances where Kirk is like, square the prime directive or whatever, you know. I mean, that's who Kirk is. And so it's just demonstrating once again that he's just going to do whatever he wants. And the funny part is that in the end, like the result is that they get Spock back and the Federation's like, all right, it's fine. (laughs) This is the thing is that Kirk always gets away with it because he does the impossible and he saves the day always. And so they know that he's going to come up with this like half-cocked crazy solution that's like not protocol, but it does work. (laughs) Yeah, and I think we've all wanted to see Kirk like do something to completely defy Starfleet regulations for a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, the past two movies, he's been fighting Khan all by the book. You know, he's very like stagnant. He's an admiral. He's, you know, been behind his desk for a while. His career is just kind of flatlined a little bit. And so I think this is what he needs. You know, Khan kind of jumpstarted him to kind of wake up. But he's, I mean, all of this, these movies take place within like a couple weeks of each other, you know? Yeah. And so Kirk is still dealing with all the emotions from the last movie. And so I think this is kind of a great feeling for him to completely say F you to Starfleet. I'm taking the Enterprise. I'm saving my best friend because nothing else matters in the world to me right now. Damn the consequences. Absolutely. And like... I think that scene, too, when they're all on the Enterprise and he looks at his crew and he says, like, I can't, you're not obligated to go any further with me. Like, this is, this can be my mission and my mission alone if you guys don't want to break protocol. And they're all like, 
can we go please like we're ready you know they're just like no we're not leaving you behind to rescue spock on your own we all know and love spock and know that he's important to all of us i mean all of them i think felt this his death very acutely in different ways like you were saying and so i just love that sort of band together and that camaraderie that it's not just kirk who's helping and it's not always kirk having to save the day by himself because he has his crew behind him always yeah that scene is really special for me and i think it really ties in the closeness of this crew because so often we just you know the trio is the main focus especially of original series episodes and Mm -hmm. seeing kirk check in with all of them and he's just saying to his friends not to his crew Mm -hmm. do you want to come with me because you don't have to and i also am just like happy to see the diversity yes it's all men it's all men but you know it's only it's two americans a japanese person a scotsman and a russian stealing the enterprise you Technically, know Sulu's japanese american just want to give him his full oh yeah so title. three americans <laughs> well, still japanese though. yeah and a scotsman and a russian all it sounds like like the start of a joke all all steal the enterprise <laughs> and then they go to genesis um but yeah i also thought that it was really satisfying you know we met the horrible excelsior captain earlier and he was kind of Mm -hmm. like ordering scotty around and then we see scotty sneak onto the excelsior saying oh he's just here for some midnight repairs but really he's disabling their transwarp drive which is something that we haven't heard of yet and honestly we will never really hear about too much um transwarp drive um rihanna do you know like what is so special about that versus regular old warp drive i think it's the same thing because, you know, in Star Trek 2009, when uh, Scotty, quote-unquote, events tra- invents transwarp beaming, yeah, um, it's the same thing where you just beam someone at high warp. And so I think transwarp is the same. I think it's just like a cool name that they made for the movies. That's what I was thinking. It says transwarp generally refers to speeds and technologies that are beyond conventional warp drives. Okay, so, so it must be like higher warp then. Yeah, so like this warp drive warp drive has a natural or physical limit but then in trans warp they can go to like warp nine okay that's crazy and where did you get that resource so we can cite it um yeah on labs.engineering.asu.edu so um this is yeah asu um this is the enterprise lab group talking about trans warp drive in star trek so thanks arizona state um Um, yeah, and it's also citing the Next Generation Technical Manual. So yeah, yeah. Okay, nice, nice. So, <laughs> uh, so I guess this is um, historic because, like, the Enterprise. I don't think it could go warp nine. No, it could only go like warp seven, I think, or something. Yeah, and so for the Excelsior captain, this is cool. This is a good flex for him. And so once they do clear the docking bay doors, and the Enterprise, you know stressfully is able to eat their way out in time uh-huh. um then the captain is like oh whatever i'm gonna go catch them because i can fly faster and then the ship doesn't even work and that's because of scotty, scotty. and scotty like did not take shore leave so that he could do this i mean i'm just saying scotty never takes shore leave literally the rest of the crew had like a time off and scotty's over here slave it away in the lower engineering just doing it everyone's work for them. Rihanna, so. I'm Rihanna, I'm dying right now. I'm dying. 
Okay, I'm I'm sorry to like think ahead, but even in Star Trek Five, like yeah. they all have shore leave in Yosemite, and Scotty's just doing work on the Enterprise. I mean, we know that Scotty's the happiest years of his life was when he was working on the Enterprise, and so we know that this is like maybe that is his shore leave. But still, I'm just saying self self care, Scotty. Please, for the love of God. I think this is why um, Starfleet starts implementing forced breaks for their for their workers. <laughs> Because they saw Scotty like half collapse and then be stuck in a transporter. Before. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, or the, or maybe all the engineers just were like, we need to form a union because we're all tired. I don't know. But, we're all being overworked. Yeah. Yeah. A uh, couple of things I want to say too. Um, that first of all, we're, I want to just briefly go back to this cantina scene. Where does McCoy get money? He says he has money to pay this like officers so like we know that they don't get paid money like starfleet officers because they all just do it on honor or whatever yeah yeah i told briata this and she went oh hell no (laughs) (laughs) she's like they don't even get paid (laughs) well i mean ideally we're living in a society where like everything is free you know like yeah but only in the federation so like anytime they need money (laughs) for anything this is why i'm wondering like maybe mccoy does like some side moonlighting as like a physician for some like i mean i'm sure maybe he does house calls you know i mean he's this good old country doctor yeah maybe maybe he has like family money I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know either, but I was just laughing. I'm like, this is so funny. Yeah. But, no, that's yeah. hilarious. He's like, money I got. Information <laughs> you got. <laughs> or something, <laughs> something exactly. weird like that. <laughs> right. So weird. Um... Oh my god. So now they're off and they're going back to, they're going to save Spock and they're going to Genesis. And what I thought was interesting is that word about Genesis has spread throughout the whole Federation. And so Mm -hmm. it's a taboo subject. And McCoy even gets pulled over in the bar. And this is the whole reason he was sent to the, and Rihanna, you know what? We didn't even talk about this. So maybe this is a reason why McCoy was sent there so unfairly, was sent to the, um, to the facility because he was talking about a subject that was taboo. True, this makes me think, about, um, mm. Section 31, like, excuse me? Like, yeah, it, you know, absolutely. just because a Starfleet officer is talking about, like, some top secret information, and then they get, like, covered up and sent to an insane asylum, that's messed up. That is messed up. And that has Section 31 written all over it. You're so right. Yeah, like, that's really sketchy. And even when the crew all comes back from... Like, when the Enterprise comes to Starbase, who knows? Um, That's what the Admiral says to everyone, is this is a taboo subject. You better all shut the F up about it. Like, don't don't mention anything about Genesis because it could be used as a weapon. But, I mean, it's funny because if, like, a cadet heard about Genesis, what can they do about it, you know? What about all those trainees? (laughs) Like All of Spock's trainees who were all mourning because they were being trained by Spock. Okay, anyway. We haven't said Spock's name in a while, so thanks for... Yeah, I just had to bring it back. But... Well, yeah. That's so true. And I don't know. I mean, I think that... You're so right. I think that's absolutely why he was taken there. Oh, and that, and this is why it's so hard for McCoy to get a ride there too, because he's trying. Genesis is a forbidden area, and so I think it's crazy how fast this information has spread. Because they haven't yeah. been home for very long, and everyone's up in arms about Genesis, and even the Klingons know about Genesis. Clearly, their intelligence is not working because yeah. everyone knows about Genesis. 
Yeah, I think like you said, it's harder to contain information when there's such a large group of people who knew about it. And if the Enterprise comes limping back in, people need reports and need to know why. Yeah. Yeah. So if it's so what I'm wondering is that if this is such important data and so secretive, why do they only have one ship at the planet working on it? You know? It's just idiotic because like Grissom's ship they get blown up like so easily and it's really sad because there is some like amazing random side characters like they're talking about how uh they're in contact with Savik and David who are down on Genesis and they're like we see a life form and that's why they're down there because they're trying to figure out what is going on with this life form there's not supposed to be any life on Genesis and that's when they find Spock's empty grave, creepy worms, and his empty <laughs> robes. And so literally, like, there's just some sort of naked baby Spock running I, around. I think <laughs> creepy worms and empty robes is the name of the band we should form. <laughs> I love that. I can be punk rock. Creepy bugs and empty robes. Now my friends are gone. Oh Dead God. and gone. <laughs> Bitter dread. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think that, so that's why Savick and David are down on the planet. And then they're keeping in contact with Grissom's ship up. uh, And it's really funny because they do have a report of, like, Spock's body's gone or whatever or something. And this random ensign lady who's at the helm, she gives this look like, are you effing kidding me? It's the sassiest, most hilarious look I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) And then they get blown up, like, a scene later. And I'm like, that's really... I mean, it's smart to do it because you get a tiny bit of, like, humanity and sort of just insight into this whole ship of people, and then they're just gone. And so it shows how the Klingons are really merciless, and they don't care about who they're blowing up, who's getting, whoever's getting in their way, they're going to kill. And so it would have been nice to have more ships to protect Grissom's ship. I'm sorry I don't remember the ship's name, but Grissom is the captain. I like that you remembered Grissom. There's no way I, I would have. down. Would've and Savick, every scene is like, Grissom. Captain Grissom. She's like, Grissom, are you there? Grissom. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's called the USS Grissom. Oh. <laughs> so, okay. So it must have not been. Grissom must not have been. <laughs> we have to keep this in. This is so funny. Um, yeah. Then, wait, then, then what's the captain? The captain name? is um, J.T. Esteban. Captain Esteban. Oh, Esteban. Okay. Wow. Well, I thought his name was Grissom. Um, but that's so, the ship name. So sorry to captain esteban (laughs) yeah my bad dude i'm sorry that you get blown up by klingons so quickly yeah you know so this was something i don't think i've ever retained from watching this movie before is that the klingons do murder like they destroy this ship i did not remember that i think i i honestly you know to kind of like tell the audience where I'm at in my memory I think sometimes I combine all the Klingons and all the movies together like especially the the Klingons we'll talk about in um Undiscovered Country and and um Final Frontier like I honestly it really blends together for me and so I think I kind of thought that they were all just kind of like they're Klingons they don't really do much but no I'm wrong Christopher Lloyd is really violent in this movie and he murders a whole crew and we don't even get to say goodbye to them or have any kind of scene that like memorializes them or anything it's so savage like he blows them up and then all like savik is like uh come in grissom uh grissom where the f are you like she has no indication of what has happened until christopher lloyd just chimes in and he's like 
um, hi, I've killed your captain and I've killed your ship. You're stranded. You're marooned down here. Give me Genesis. And David's trying to convince him, like, you are so stupid because this is Genesis. There's there's no more, like, in Wrath of Khan, we saw that, like, cylindrical tower thing yeah. that was supposed to be Genesis, like a giant computer. But that's that's been launched. Like, the planet yeah. is Genesis now. And so it's totally useless. And, all, and, I mean, this, again, makes me question why Starfleet made it so secretive. And I guess, like, theoretically, maybe you could capture, like, a sample of the planet and then like figure out its chemical structure about how it was turned from genesis i don't know like maybe their fear is that it could be replicated but for for me it doesn't really make any sense that it's all so secretive but it's clearly a failed experiment and so maybe the grissom was just not like properly communicating with starfleet and they were just like um we're gonna figure this out you know kind of like assess the situation and then we will report back yeah, I think that's absolutely what it was. It was more of a, we're trying to figure out what is going on with Genesis. And at first they were just monitoring from above. They're monitoring the atmosphere and the planet's structure and all of this stuff. And then that's the only reason they beam down. They're not supposed to, but because Spock is loose, or at least they know a life form is loose, they have to go and get it. because, And that's when David and Savick start to realize this planet is severely unstable. And that's when we learn that David used the protomatter... Right. Yep, protomatter. He used the protomatter to create this very unstable, it's a very unstable element and like illegal, I think, to use in Starfleet in any sort of scientific experiments. And he did anyway because all of their other gen- Genesis tests were failing. Yeah, and David wanted to use a shortcut. And this is something that Savick brings up to him towards the end of the movie is that you were so like your father. You're always looking for shortcuts. Um, Kirk cheated on the Kobayashi Maru. You know, every everything he does is to kind of scrape by to get what he wants and to get the results that he wants. And David did the same thing, but without like the like without thinking it through, which is also very Kirk. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and he just, you know, he made the whole planet extremely unstable. And I think this is something that I find really brilliant about this movie is that we're getting the consequences of the actions in Wrath of Khan. And that's not something we get to see a lot in Trek, particularly in the original series, because it's it's episodic and not overarching plots. And so we don't get to see a lot of the consequences of like, okay, Kirk was infiltrated a Romulan warbird this episode so now we're gonna debrief in the next one like no it's just it's completely gone never to be spoken of again essentially and so here it is nice to not have a movie in the vacuum it's nice to have to see the consequences from Wrath of Khan play out because I was so curious I remember as a kid wondering what was going to happen to Genesis and Spock and everything that went on in that planet and to see it fall apart and I don't know it just it puts Wrath of Khan in a different perspective for me because I'm thinking, you know, like what a beautiful ending where the Genesis planet was flourishing and gorgeous and like a perfect resting place for Spock. And now we're learning that this isn't the truth. We're learning this planet is dying and destroying itself and could take Spock along with it, you know? And so it adds this element that I didn't expect. And I really appreciated that for the writing. I think you're so right. It's a very simple plot, but it it really does tie in the movie so well together. Yeah, there's no loose ends, really. Like, everything has a conclusion. Like, all of these plot threads that are building up are all resolved. Yeah. I love I love what you said. I totally agree. I also think... Oh, okay. So, this is now... 
um, we have like the fourth or fifth Spock fake out because when we finally reach the life form, it's baby Spock. <laughs> yeah, the naked baby screaming. <laughs> it's like not even adult Spock. It's like child Spock. Yeah, eight to ten years of age, Savick says. Oh, thank you, Savick. Um, so this is really interesting to me because what I've thought about and what I was thinking about during this movie is that the Spock that we see for the rest of the movies and the rest of his life is like fast grown on Genesis Spock. He's like one of those uh, little toys that you get where it like looks like a small capsule and you throw it in the water and then it like turns into a dinosaur or something. This is like Spock. It's like a Spock shaped thing <laughs> you put in the water yeah. and then you get like an old Spock. Grow your own Spock. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> or is he a Chia pet? yeah yeah all of those yeah he's like a towel that makes a you know small towel yeah Yeah. Yeah, in a short amount of time so yeah this is uh grow your own spock is who we know for the rest of the series um so that's crazy it's not even his, his original body and i also i have to note at this point that and i had to text rihanna this while we were watching it only extremely top tier Star Trek characters get a new body in their life. There's only been two, and one is Spock, and the other is a spoiler. And if you've seen Picard, you know that it's Picard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is god tier level regeneration of body. I mean, like, who are the, the most the characters were so epic that they like we have to just keep them going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Their bodies might decay, but we got to build them a new one. (laughs) So anyway, I, I don't know how I feel about aging Spock, especially the Vulcan sex scene. And I did not misspeak. No, I didn't. We see a Vulcan sex scene in this movie and I did not, I, I don't like it. I don't like anything about it. Even, especially watching it with our mom who like knows about Vulcan mating rituals. I was like, this is very uncomfy for all of us. It's just awful. And like literally Brianna... The only, like, we were talking about Search for Spock yesterday, what before, when I'm telling her, okay, I'm going to record the pod tomorrow, she's like, oh, I can only think about that scene. And I'm just like, I'm so sorry, because that's all I think about, too. And it's awful, because, like, it's so unnecessary to show it. I think that they could have definitely been like, oh, yeah, that sort of happened. Spock was going through Ponfar, because we learned that he, his body is aging with the planet. And so he, his body is like intrinsically, uh, in- connected. Intertwined. Yeah, intertwined. Yeah, intrinsically intertwined with Genesis. And so when Genesis is rapidly aging, so is Spock. You know, he starts out as an eight to ten year old, and then he's like suddenly going through Pon Far, and he's a teenager, and he's like horny and needs to bang Savick. And of course, Savick's the only woman there and the only other Vulcan there. Which thank who, God, because he would have died if there hadn't died. been a Vulcan there. <laughs> yeah. Or he would have just needed to, like, fight it out with Kirk and then lost his, uh, his... His drive. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, it's just just so disturbing. And I don't like that they show it. Because we've seen Amanda and Sarek, you know, in Journey to Babel, where they just walk around and they're, like, kissing with their little fingers as they, like, walk around the ship. And you're like, why are you making out right now? But whatever. And, you know, that's their little show of affection. But, like, they just go in to a place that i didn't want to see i love vulcan culture and i didn't want to see this somehow it's worse that it's just like the fingers touching like i i not that i want to see like any kind of spock sexy no no matter what i don't want to see it no but if 
Oh, God. I just wish they had just, like, alluded to it or just, like, you know, kind of, like, original series style, like, fade to black. (laughs) Come on. Like, swell the music and get out of there. Like, I do not want... I don't want it. And it's, like, technically underage. It's just, like, all of this I know, really dicey I know. stuff that makes me so uncomfortable. Yeah. But also, like, he would have died. And this yeah, is the it's also... sort of like the bag or die trope, you know? This <laughs> like, is gotta the, do it. The crazy thing, too, is that if, if David hadn't been so reckless with his creation of Genesis, we would have lost Bach forever, you know? True. And so even though it's a complete failure... All of these events happen to lead up where Spock's body is regenerated and we can bring him back to life. That's just, it's so astronomical. Like, what are the odds of that? But it's because of the interplay of these characters and because of, like, who they are is what leads to these results. And I, you know, so we get Spock back, but it's kind of like in Full Metal Alchemist, like, in order to bring back someone, you have to take a soul. And this yeah, is the this equivalent is exchange. Equivalent exchange. And this is very common in a lot of, like, mythology or mm-hmm. science fiction or fantasy, where there's a theme of if you bring someone back to life, someone else has to die. And none of that is spoken as like Trek lore or anything like that but I thought it was definitely kind of a theme that they were going for where David so I'll set up the situation um finally finally the Enterprise reaches Genesis reaches the planet and Christopher Lloyd he says to Kirk if you can't give like give me genesis now or i'm gonna kill one of the hostages and okay so think about these hostages we have savik who we have learned to adore in the past movie we have and david past two movies yeah, the, shall i say yeah past well and this movie too yeah so yeah we who we've past known movie and a half <laughs> who we've like learned to love we have david who is kirk's biological son mm-hmm. and then we have spock who was like the love of kirk's life and his best friend and his science officer <laughs> and so and everyone's favorite and so like i remember as a kid feeling like okay it's kind of like mary do kill you know yeah. um like okay if well, you, you gotta choose one to die who's it gonna be if you had to kill one personally i would have said savik mm. because she even though she's really cool she's the one i have like i'm like eh, it's okay like kirk can survive if savik dies you know yeah. but not if david or spock dies and rihanna did you have like if you had to choose to die who who like who would you have chosen david david <laughs> i'm sorry my love for vulcans and like savik was too strong i think that i really even as a kid i remember starting to really like savik once i got to search for spock besides the sex scene but i remember really liking the rest of it because it because she was helping spock she was like spock's primary care like spock's mom yeah and yeah. there's no amanda but there is savik yeah and so i knew that like Spock would be far better off. I'm mostly because really my full priority in this film is to save Spock and and so I don't really care you know like as a young kid I didn't really care if David dies because I didn't think about Kirk as much and as of his emotions you know and so now when I think about it it's a tough choice. I think that I still would choose David because he's never been a character who really intrigues me or who is like has a lot of depth to him but i think that's only because of the writing and the mm-hmm. lack of time we got with him i yeah. think that especially learning that he like messed with the proto matter and that this whole genesis thing was a failure and all of this stuff and 
mostly I'm thinking about Carol again and how disappointed and like frustrated she would have been with him but also how horrible it would have been for her to find out that he just died on Genesis like murdered by a Klingon that's awful um but anyway so obviously they're all terrible like any of them who would have died would have been terrible but David is the one I care about least so selfishly I would have I would have said go ahead David and that's what happened so you enjoyed this scene I know I know I'm just I'm just kidding I'm just kidding well and so I think that this is yet again another fake out like it's not a like Spock is a lie fake out it's a we might lose this character and no matter what the title is search for Spock that does not matter anymore because we found Spock and so the stakes I think are at their highest when we have this scene where who is Christopher Lloyd gonna kill and I'm so sorry I don't I don't even want to look up what the Klingon's name is he's Christopher Lloyd it's um k-r-u-g-e crudge crudge (laughs) (laughs) and I think they never say his name I think this is just I found this on Wikipedia so like I think maybe that's what he's like credited as, but I do not think that they say his name. Maybe they say it once in Klingon, they're like, crudge. But I'm like, is that a Klingon word? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, honestly. Um, Rhymes with sludge to me. So, yeah. (laughs) But anyway, so I think that the stakes were built really were are really high and it was a really good moment of tension because you're thinking all of these scenarios like if spock dies right now i'm gonna leave yeah <laughs> like, like i yeah stand up and like i'm turning off the television if spock <laughs> dies yeah um and so i thought it was a good fake out because i'm saying fake out a lot because all of this movie is a good fake out mm-hmm. um the klingon and and Christopher Lloyd says, you decide. I'm not even going to tell you who to kill. Because they, at this point, Klingons have beamed down. They've captured them. And so he's going for Savick. And then David, like, shoves him out of the way and saves Savick's life. And then the Klingon stabs David. So yeah. this is a really noble death for him. Mm-hmm. And Rihanna, I was kind of thinking that David and Savick had a thing going on too because they've mm-hmm. been spending so much time together on the planet and Savick is the only one who was with them on the adventure in Wrath of Khan. And now that Carol's not there, I don't, I don't know. I just, I felt like I had some chemistry between them. And then when David chooses to sacrifice himself for Savick, I really felt like mm. they could have had something. And it, it made me sad because I didn't even know I was like shipping them <laughs> until he died. Yeah. But I wonder if he had gone for Spock, would David have made the same sacrifice? I think so because he's got so much of Kirk in him and he is very self-sacrificial in that way and I think it's something he learned directly from Kirk seeing him or learn from Spock really seeing Spock do that in um, the Wrath of Khan. This is true. Spock did save everyone's life. Yeah and so I think he definitely would have. I think that he is noble in that way and that's something that he gets from both of his parents you know Mm -hmm. that this this drive to make like to make the best of a situation and he saw the best of the situation to be his death and that's just awful you know but I do think that it is a really beautiful death but the horrible part is when is when Savit comes up and just goes David is dead and I'm like come on I mean I know you're a Vulcan but like geez you just told Kirk your son his son's dead like that you know and I think it is hurting her too we see that a little bit that I don't know if I saw it as a romantic relationship but I think they had so much respect for each other as colleagues and probably as friends because like they're both scientists they're both so deeply interested in Genesis and in its creation and just in science in general and so and they're also like going on this harrowing journey 
journey together, like you said. So it is, they are forming this bond and it's just sad to see it be cut off like this. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, so I I kind of feel bad for Savick because it seems like baby Spock can't talk. Um, And so there's no way he could have been like, Captain, it's me. David is dead. You know, like that that wouldn't have happened. And the Klingon's not going to be like, your son is murdered. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so I felt bad. I feel like there's no other way that Savick could have said it that Mm -hmm. David was dead. She just had to like literally report the news, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's just awful too, because the scene right before this, when the Klingons have beamed down and they're holding them all in, phaser point and then we hear on like on their communicators that the enterprise has arrived and you see this look of just relief on david's face and so that makes it all worse because you're thinking he's thinking my dad's here he's gonna save us all oh it's just devastating it's true i think like an painful even more devastating scene though oh man this is a great podcast right (laughs) (laughs) i know you guys are really cracking up this whole time Uh um but i i thought actually the scene where kirk realizes kirk hears from savik that david is dead I thought was really well acted. And I think we're uh, like in these movies, we're kind of hitting the peak of Shatner's acting ability. Mm -hmm. And this movie I think is like kind of where it starts to go downhill. Yeah. But he's still at the top, top of his game right now. And I thought the scene, so he hears this news and he collapses and he's not like in his chair. He's on the ground. Like he's fallen out of the captain's chair. He's on the ground and his whole family is around him. We have Scotty, Sulu, Chekhov, McCoy. They're all around him. And I think that there's no one better who could have been there to support him at that moment. Because, I mean, this it just sucks. Because he just found out that David's alive. He thought, oh, we're going to have this future together. And I'm going to be able to get to know him. And, oh, nope, that's all taken away. And this all happens in such a short amount of time where he knows that David is alive. And so, and also he, this happened kind of because Kirk chose to go to Genesis and try to save Spock. And so all of this stuff is running through his mind and he can't even take it. And we have seen Kirk go through so much in, we have like 69 episodes of the original series of him just like being amazing, never breaking. His, his literal brother like dies in front of him and he's like, anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. Like whatever. Um, we've seen him, you know, even with the death of Spock, like he was having a horrible time, but I think this was just kind of like the straw you know that broke mm-hmm. the camel's back that broke the captain's uh, back I, I was trying to think of like a star trek animal but i don't i don't the targ the targ <laughs> yeah so this this is just too much for him like kirk has suffered too much and he can't even deal with it and so to see kirk break down like this absolutely broken it was something new and yeah. i think you know, I'm just kind of zooming out a little bit, thinking about why do you make a movie? And especially with these characters that we've seen so much, it's to force them into situations that they've never been in before. It's to um, go where no Kirk has gone before. And this is to watch him um, experience the death of his estranged son is just so sad. 
and uh, and we also start to see the rage that is building in Kirk after mm-hmm. this and his need for revenge. And this is something that is going to shape Kirk's life for the next couple of movies because a, a, Kirk just sees him not as sludge, uh, kludge, clarge, whatever his name is, Christopher Lloyd. He doesn't just see him as an individual Klingon. He sees this as the Klingon race killed my son. Yeah. Yeah, and so this this starts a lot of um, like Klingon racism that Kirk yeah, Kirk has to deal with. Yeah, it's a dangerous precedent he's setting, and in a way, it's understandable. But I think that so much of Kirk is letting that um, what's it called? Letting that revenge uh, consume him, and it's it's what makes him very volatile and especially in the end of this movie because you think like you're going to save your dead best friend and try to bring him back to life and in the on the way you lose your son you know like it's like you said it's this horrible upheaval for Kirk he's gone through so much grief and so much trauma in these past couple days Mm -hmm. even that it's just horrible to see this happening to him and I think it's something I did not expect in this movie, I did not expect a major character death. You know, if anything, I expected revival, you know, the bringing back of life. And so ugh, it's just, it's devastating. Well, and Kirk is saying over and over again, you Klingon bastard, you killed my son. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the only way he's getting through this moment is to like lash out against yeah. Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. So right. And so Kirk, he can't, you know, he takes his moment to like be truly broken and then mm-hmm. he stands up and he acts like everything's, you know, he he shoves it down. And I think that that's what I love about this scene with Shatner is that you see him transforming from this very private view that only a couple people ever get to see in his mm-hmm. life. Really, McCoy and his bridge crew are the only people that get to see his true emotions and then you see him put the mask back on and i'm admiral kirk i'm captain kirk i'm gonna save the whole uh ship again and so he starts to formulate a plan because christopher lloyd is not gonna allow him to grieve he's saying okay uh so i'm gonna kill someone else next so you better give me genesis and kirk is like well I can't mourn right now. I can't like cry my eyes out. So I have to keep going. And so I, I mean, I love what he does with this plan. Genius. Yeah. He says, okay, I'm going to give you enterprise. Um, and once we do that, like you can have the ship, you can have Genesis. It's all going to be great. Um, but it's all a trap. And this is one of the first times I think, Right, correct me if I'm wrong, Rihanna, but I think this is the first time that we see a self-destruct sequence. Um, I think you're right, but there is a part of me that tell that tells me that the ultimate computer or one of those episodes had maybe a you're right. Maybe like on this. the show, yeah, actually, you might be right, but in the movies for sure, definitely, yeah, and um. Before we get to this final moment, I want to just bring up something that's completely random and hilarious. Please. So when the Klingons beam on to the planet, they pass Spock's little coffin and they see these worm guys. And Christopher Lloyd, little crudge guy, he picks one up 
And then it starts suffocating him, and he's, like, fighting it, and he's, I guess he's showing that he's a strong Klingon who can, like, kill worms or something, because then he, like, squeezes it, you know, and whatever, and it's supposed, to, I guess he's, like, demonstrating his power. Then, he, the ship calls him, and he says, nothing happening down here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, sir, look at the screen. You just always got, like, choked out by a big worm. That is not nothing. <laughs> I don't know, I just thought it was, like, really random and hilarious, and, like, also just shows how kind of I just don't care about these villains, you know, I don't care about Crudge or whatever, because also Klingons are supposed to be these great warriors, and, like, David has, like, a good, like, two-minute fight with this Klingon before he gets stabbed, and I'm like, David is clearly not a, uh, hand-to-hand combat man like how could he hold up against a klingon warrior for that long it's because these klingons are not very battle hardened (laughs) i don't think i don't think they've had a lot of glorious battles yet (laughs) yeah i thought that scene was hilarious too and it really like gave some light to the moment because he's like he's like wearing this like worm like a scarf he's like yeah like choking him the fall (laughs) fashion (laughs) (laughs) it's the llb catalog here yeah exactly yeah, I, I totally agree with you. These are some weak Klingons. And I think this is why um, Grudge... I can never... Uh, what's his name? Crudge. I think this is why Crudge is looking for honor because he knows his crew is, like, terrible. <laughs> yeah, like, they all suck. They're not battle-hearted, clearly. Like, it is sad when he's, like, cuddling his dead Targ. But, like, that's... Yeah, I'm just like, what? This is just not... I do think that he is the best one on the ship. Christopher Lloyd mm-hmm. is the best Klingon on the ship. And he's easily the smartest one. Like, he's he's running this whole operation, and he knows what he wants, and he's going to be ruthless about getting yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy, because then when they're on the ship, you know, we you're talking about this whole self-destruct sequence, and they beam them aboard, and, you know, they switch places, and, um, and they all get beamed down to Genesis, and the Klingon crew gets beamed on the Enterprise, and then they're just on the, on the bridge, and this Klingon's like, what's this cow name? (laughs) I'm like, are you a pack lid? Like, you're so dumb. (laughs) Like, what is going on? I just don't understand what's going through his head he's like why is it counting down i'm like dummy look around you i i just i don't know i love it like yeah it they're dumb but i mm-hmm. there's something really epic and every time this happens in a show where they have to do self-destruct i just think it is so epic because right? you get to see these characters use their proper rank like they're like what is the code and kirk's like alpha eight two zero seven five correct and then like scotty's like my codes are this thing and you know and they're all like putting in their information and also i mean they have to have that memorized like all the time like for me personally i think i'd have to be like oh hang on let me like check my phone i have like a file saved about like what's my like the self-destruct sequence code that is not security (laughs) protocol that is not safe (laughs) maybe i have it written down like in my jacket or something I just think it's funny that Scotty's code is something really stupid. It's like zero, one, two, three, four, or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he probably has a lot of engineer codes he has to remember. So he's like, I'll make my self destruct one very easy. He's like, What will I remember in yeah. like a tough situation? <laughs> one, two, three, four, S. My self destruct code is S C O T T Y. His birthday or something. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, absolutely. What is my mother's maiden name, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
yeah oh good yeah well i still think it's epic i i think yeah, yeah. i think it's super cool and I, honestly this movie there's uh this movie's really ramping up for me at the end mm-hmm. and there is a curse that i think we have to talk about now uh, and that's the curse of the odd Star Trek movies. Mm. And there's a saying amongst Star Trek fans that the odd ones are the bad ones. Like 1, 3, 5, 7, 9, 13, <laughs> or uh, 11, <laughs> 13. Um, and I just want to disagree with that. I think right away this breaks the curse. And I'm just going to give my hand away i really like this movie who are you giving your hand away to <laughs> like are you giving it away to letter nemo for directing this <laughs> i don't i don't really know what i was trying to say like i tip my hat i like yeah. give away my opinion I, I I will like hand my opinion over. I don't okay, really sure. I don't really know That's what fine. I was trying to say, but yeah, I'm just gonna lean into it, Rihanna. I give my hand to you. Um, mm. I I really like this movie, and I think that the more that it's going, the more I'm invested into it because we have such high stakes and. You know, even if you fall asleep for a second, you can wake up. You still know what's going on. You know, it's very it's very straightforward, um, and. So this now we're coming to the second sacrifice, the second like biggest sacrifice of the movie, and that is the destruction of the Enterprise. And I think that the destruction of the Enterprise is more sad than the death of David, personally. Yeah. Oh, easily. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of funny, but that's just because we, this is the, I mean, of course it's had refits since the original series, and we see that in the motion picture, but this is still the good old Enterprise. This is the one that like we are very attached to emotionally and I kind of think of it as like when your old high school car finally gives out on you which I'm still driving mine so I still have not faced that I have not faced death (laughs) I was just gonna say Rihanna's not faced death and I hated death my car is very old I'm still driving it um and so I think that you know, it's sort of akin to that, but even worse, because you're like, that's like if you blew up your own car. <laughs> you, like, set yeah. it on fire in the parking lot, and yeah. because, like, your bullies were chasing after you. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. We've so, all gone through that. Uh-huh, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I think this also speaks a bit to, um, I wrote this down, and I don't know how I feel about it, but there is a really a deep beauty in this destruction and it's partially because it's defeating the enemy you know and the only enemy left is karg or wang or <laughs> grudge Chris, grudge grudge Christopher yeah Lloyd yeah is the only enemy left and so it is this huge blow to the klingons which is great but it's also so that's sort of the you know and it the way that like you see the enterprise just like oh like colliding to the genesis planet is sort of this poetic beauty in a way that like it's also like the enterprise's time was over you know they said this in the in the beginning of the movie that her day is done and the way that she went out was to save spock and was but also the fact that like she landed on this planet that's about to destroy itself you know i mean there's so much going on here metaphorically about getting 
because like things are never going to be the same again after this movie and so they can't have the same enterprise and so i think it is sort of a way to also clean the slate saying spock's different everyone's different kirk's going to be very different in these following movies because of david's death and so i don't know it kind of has this poetic justice to it but it's still just as painful especially when kirk's looking up at it and he says my god bones what have i done and mccoy says what you always do turn death into a fighting chance for life thank you oh. i couldn't remember the rest of it thank you i couldn't remember the beginning so <laughs> yeah Anna, that was beautiful i i totally agree with you and i also think that this death of the enterprise is better than her just coming into space dock and being retired you know yeah. it's better for a ship to go out fighting and to go down like protecting its people mm-hmm. doing its job to the last minute um, this really reminds me, you know, of any One Piece fans out there, you know, kind of a spoiler. They're the ship that they all travel on and, it, you know, they're all pirates. Um, but the, the, the ship that they're all on for the first like 300 episodes, oh um, of the, maybe like 400 of the show is called the Going Mary and the episode where she finally goes down I've, like, never cried so much in an anime. Like, they're all oh. weeping and showing flashbacks about, remember that time the Mary did this? And oh. I, I feel the same way. Like, when the Enterprise is going down, I'm thinking, this is the ship that took down Khan Noonien Singh twice. This is the mm. ship that traveled to Talos. Like, this is the ship that had Pike and, mm-hmm. like, interacted with hundreds of new species and made first contact and took down so many computers. It found Spock's brain. It did. I mean, this this is a historic ship. This is the Enterprise that everybody talks about when they're thinking about the original series and in, you know, future Star Trek episodes. They're like, oh, this is the Enterprise that all the other ships are named after. So for me, I mean, it's as bad. It's NX01, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> but, but that one's, well, yeah, that one maybe, yeah. I mean, and, I mean, Enterprise itself is named after a battle cruiser mm-hmm. um, and a, and a in America. And shuttle. Yeah, like the inter- the name Enterprise is very important, but mm-hmm. it's sad. And I, I don't think it's as sad as Spock dying, but I think it's like around that same level of like, dang, this really sucks. <laughs> it is sad to see too that Scotty's a part of this self-destruct sequence, you know, because you think about Scotty who t- never takes breaks and who spent the best years of his life making sure, like cradling this ship. And like the Enterprise will always be Scotty's first love. And so obviously i'm thinking about kirk's sadness here but i'm thinking about scotty too and thinking about how he's sitting there pretty much just like crying watching the enterprise go down and they're all watching it together and i think it's such a beautiful moment of like sending her off in a literal blaze of glory so rest in peace and i think honestly like the the imagery of it is really beautiful too it's a good way that it goes out it looks like a fallen star hitting the genesis planet and Mm -hmm. you really have a sense that they are seriously giving up everything they have to save Spock. Kirk's giving yeah. up his son. They're giving up their beloved ship, all for their friend. Mm-hmm. And I do love that they are sort of able to like sneaky link their way back into the bird of prey. <laughs> you yeah. know, like they, because uh, they, Kirk is able to goad Clang, Karg, God damn it, Crunch. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk is able to goad Grudge, Crunch, <laughs> not the cat crudge into coming down to the planet and to say haha i destroyed all your men you know come down and fight me and like of course they will of course he will he's a klingon warrior and so um i just think that that was like 
pretty cool, you know? But then we have this weird fight sequence with Crudge and Kirk, and Kirk just kicking him off the, <laughs> off I the have had enough, enough. of you! Of you! <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like a, it's like a weird, like, Mufasa scar moment. <laughs> I just, long live the king. <laughs> you know, it's just weird. <laughs> I think you mean that the Lion King is kind of a weird search for Spock moment, Rihanna. Oh, you're right! <laughs> Hamlet and Search for Spock was the Lion King's biggest influences. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, that's just a goofy fight scene, like Kirk just tumbling around in the dirt with an alien. Usual stuff, you know? This is another original series episode, I guess. I mean, that I mean, Kirk tumbling around with the alien is the plot of like half the original series episodes. That's the plot of a that's the plot of a muck time. Yeah, it's a plot of arena. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it, it is very classic, but it's also just like not not very well sequenced in my opinion i'm just sort of like okay i don't care i know this guy's gonna die because spock's fine he's like rapidly aging and it's like really scary (laughs) i just i'm like i just want to see Leonard nimoy can we stop it with all these other iterations it is kind of funny because you know they're trying i I mean so amazingly they happen to stop spock aging at the exact (laughs) age that he was when he died but i thought it would have been nice if they could have aged him a little bit younger you know (laughs) i mean not let's give him some more time yeah well and also just for the sake of like spock's character because Vulcans mm-hmm. already live a long time. Let's just have him, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. live a little longer. <laughs> yeah. So they rescue him. They go on the bird of prey, and they're off to Vulcan. Yeah, they fly in right there. And thank God McCoy can finally have some relief because they lay him down on a table in the catcher <laughs> gark. And, I mean, I thought this was a cool scene too because you were again entrenched into Vulcan culture and uh do you remember the lady's name it's I know it's not T'Pau I really was wishing it was from a muck time it's Tolar Tolar yeah um I thought she was cool she was like giving the instructions to the crew she was Mm -hmm. like if you lay down upon the slab you shall be in great danger McCoy (laughs) and I love that it's like oh I'm McCoy son of David right isn't it son of David David. Yeah. yeah Well, and I like this too because, like, like we said, the um, the Faltor pod hasn't been done in thousands of years, which is the transferal, the the, the mind transfusion, and um, McCoy is this incredible he, he shows this incredible bravery and we know from just knowing mccoy that he's not the bravest in the bunch he's definitely a scaredy cat which is fair i also would be half the time like my god get me out of here <laughs> so i completely understand but like it is really cool to see mccoy just completely sacri- risk his life for this because as Sarek says earlier on that um talking about mccoy and the katra he's carrying for spock he says one alive one not yet both in pain oh. and, you know i think that's true like of course mccoy's in pain from both having the katra in his head but also from losing spock and you know he said like i would never admit this but i've missed you or you know all this kind of stuff and i think that it's just such an important moment for McCoy and something that's so incredibly brave. Like, you have to be just next level. And, of course, McCoy is always talking about Vulcan voodoo and talking about how he's very mistrustful, distrustful. He's very not, he's, he's not very trusting of the 
sort of Vulcan mysticism and all of the ceremonies that go on. And so like he's been down there for Ponfar. He knows how like crazy these ceremonies can get. And so I think the fact that he is so aware of that and still makes the sacrifice is just essential for his character and for the growth of their their friendship for the coming films. Yeah, you brought up something I was thinking too. And I'm just always reminded of McCoy, you know, calling him Vulcan slurs and making fun of him and Vulcan culture and saying about how weird it is. Mm -hmm. But when he's actually on Vulcan, he's extremely respectful and he's very serious. There's no, uh, no quips, you know, Mm -hmm. that he's giving out, like nothing like that. And Mm -hmm. so it's just a reminder that it's like, that's how McCoy shows love is through this like banter he has with Spock, but to... Um, you know, w- w- while interacting with Sarek and with Tipau, it's not Tipau, I know, but <laughs> yeah. with um, Tolar, uh, Tolar, like he's he's ready to do this, and he knows that he could die, but it's worth the sacrifice. Yeah, and and do it he does um there's some like amazing chanting, <laughs> and they do like a double mind meld. <laughs> And yeah, go ahead. I mean, I think it's epic that Tolar's doing this because she's like, bro, no one's done this, but I'll try. She's like, I'm literally giving it the old, the old uh, Vulcan University try here. Um, you know, it's just, it's incredible because like, I think about all of these mind healers and these different um, like higher ups in Vulcan. And I just have endless respect for them. Like similar um, with the like Vulcan, uh, high command or sorry similar with the people who helped spock through the colonar or, or nearly helped him through you know i mean it's just incredible that these rituals exist still because if it didn't spock's spock's spock would have been lost you know and if mm-hmm. this didn't happen and i love that they says his mind is a void <laughs> i'm like me too spock <laughs> I mean, yeah. how convenient that this, like, Spock sim grew up brainless on Genesis, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, once again, like like you said, we Spock lost his brain twice on the Enterprise. <laughs> brain, but, brain, what is what brain? Is brain? <laughs> <laughs> but this ceremony takes all night, so think about the mental uh, pressure that puts on both Spock, on Tolar, and on McCoy, dang that's just intense like this festival or this yeah this ritual is going all night long everyone's just standing there kirk is pacing he is very very anxious i mean obviously i just i think it's really well done in this scene to show everyone's tension and anxiety of will this happen even sarek sort of in the background just like will my son live you know and he says of course where my son is concerned his logic sort of goes out the window and this is the only this is the time where i think we see sarek most vulnerable and we see sarek in his most emotional state dis- despite maybe the last episode that he appears in in the next generation in unification part one but like besides that you know when he's not like losing his mind he is showing a lot of emotionality here he does not care that this ritual hasn't been done in thousands of years he is willing to do anything to get Spock back. And I think that truly shows his love for Spock, even though of course he's not ever going to tell Spock, which is irritating. Um, but this, do- this action does show a lot about his character and about his uh, love for his son. Yeah. For, it's for the love of Spock. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's also, of course, very classic that this is, you know, he's most emotional when Spock can't see him be most yeah. emotional. Mm-hmm. And I think that happens so much where, 
you are most loving towards someone when they don't know that you are, you know, mm. like if someone's not present, you might sing their praises. But as soon as they like walk into the room, you're like, oh, having a good break, Jim or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, he because they can't feel like they can be that vulnerable with people. So, yeah, this is the same case with Sarek. And again, mm-hmm. not Amanda. I think she had a spa day, so she couldn't make it to Spock's body <laughs> transference. But <laughs> I think she must have. She must have been on Earth or something that detained her, because there's no way she wouldn't be there. There's She'd no be way. pacing next to Kirk. Like they'd be chatting, gossiping, and like worried together. Like, come on. It doesn't make sense. Kirk only gets to hang out with his father-in-law. Like, come on. Where's his? Where's his? Where's his mother-in-law? Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So this is the final fake out. That is not a fake out. This is it guys spock is back but does he have his memory and that's for next time (laughs) (laughs) we do get a hint of this and this is one of my very favorite scenes because it is just so cute and it honestly like levels up this movie for me because i have a little bit of a disagreement with ashlyn i'm not a big fan of this movie i still think it sort of falls into the trap of the, (laughs) the bad odd numbered movies because coming off of the tail ends of wrath of khan it's really hard to see back to back where i'm like oh boy like this has a lot of problems with the villains like we talked about but i think that what comes through for me in this movie are these moments of family and bonding and especially this final scene where we get to see spock walk past everyone and then do a little pause and he turns around and he's like hold on a minute like you guys look familiar he comes back up to kirk and he's like jim you are jim and and kirk is so pumped he's like yes (laughs) yes and so then he's you know and then he repeats his lines from when he was dying and that is when like of course it like hits me in the feels but it's also just so great because he's again like ship out of danger and it's just like i he's just such a little baby and i just love spock in this moment because like he's got a kind of childlike innocence to him but you know that he's sort of still there and i think that that's what gives the audience that amount of reassurance of like oh my god spock is back like even if he's still piecing together his memories he is remembering his final moments with kirk and i think it's hilarious though that he just passes mccoy and doesn't even look at him (laughs) like he's got eyes only for kirk and i'm like bro he carried your katra for so long and he gives him nothing see they still get their moment though because Mm -hmm. um spock and mccoy are together at one point and mccoy saying like you know i kind of i understood you you know while we were together and you like rattled my marbles but then he also says i don't think i could stand to lose you again and that might be the most vulnerable we've ever seen McCoy in any movie or any episode, you know? Particularly towards Spock. Yeah. That's, like, almost unheard of for him. Yeah. And so I think if you're going to tell your friends how you feel at their rebirth party is definitely <laughs> when it should be. <laughs> and can I also say, talking about serving looks, I just can never get over Spock and Vulcan robes. Oh like, God. it will always be the end of me every time i see it so i have to bring it up every time but god this like bathrobe he's wearing (laughs) that he's gonna wear for the next movie i just it's truly one of the greatest joys of my life to see little reborn spock on vulcan just like remembering his friends and they all surround him and they're so happy and he's kind of i'm sure he's kind of like who are the rest of you <laughs> like i only vaguely no, know no no wrong i you don't, Vienna, you think no so? i think he remembers all of them maybe he can't like 
say why he knows mm. and loves them, but he knows that he does. Aww. Because like Ahura and Scotty are there like grinning their faces off, you yeah. know, and Chekhov is like, Gipton. <laughs> He's like, woo, Mr. Spock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. And you know, like Spock, I think you're right. He has these inclinations of friendship. He's like, I know they friend, but how? You yeah. know, he's kind of like, he's got these vague recollections and, oh, it's just, it's beautiful. I also think like something that's so cool about the scene. And again, thanks to Nimoy for directing all of this, because when we finally, we've been waiting for an, 90 minutes plus two years for Spock to return. If you're seeing this for the first time in theaters and finally like we see him in his robes and the music totally stops and there's no music at all for the scene where he's walking by each crew member and he finally gets to Kirk like it's total silence and it's only when at the end you know where they they've all talked and everyone's smiling and laughing that's when the music comes back and so I think it's so smart to just kind of stop the movie and give us this moment of enjoying that Spock is back Mm. He kind of has some memories and he's ready to go on his next adventure. (laughs) Yes. Oh, it's great. It's honestly such a good way to end it. And I don't know, it's just like a a happy fest. And then it kind of helps me forget about Kirk. It makes me help, helps me forget about David and the Enterprise. Well, but I think like, again, we talked about how Nimoy is great about wrapping up these loose ends. We see Sarek right at the end and he says to Kirk, thank you, you know, for, for doing this. And, Like, you lost your son. You lost your ship. Was it even worth it? And Kirk says, if I hadn't tried, the cost would have been my soul. And, I mean, Mm. you know, what more can you say? Like, Mm. oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I love it. I just, yeah. It's absolutely gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Well... I see my uh, my opinion this time watching it around was that I love this movie a lot more than I remembered it. And I think the reason is because and and what I was trying to say earlier about giving him my hand is I meant to say showing my hand here. I remembered it just now. But um, anyway, my hand is is shown. Um, (laughs) Shown and given. I'll post a picture of it on our Instagram. No, I'm just kidding. But I I think the reason why I love it so much is because I've seen it a lot. I know what's going to happen. But the parts that make it so enjoyable and joyful for me is these interpersonal moments between the crew that we get. Everything that happens with McCoy, everything that happens with Sulu and Don't Call Me Tiny and the loving moments at the end really just stand out to me compared to the other movies where I love the action of course and con but I don't feel like we've had this sincerity of emotion yet in any of these movies and so I think it really adds a different flavor than we've had before and I it just makes me happy I love this even if the plot is hilarious and the writing is like rough I really really enjoy this movie more than I have in the past I'm really glad you said that Ashlyn because I I do tend to agree with that like I think we do get this connection that I think brings back a little bit of the sentimentality from the original series of the sort of, ha ha ha, let's all laugh and have the credits roll, you know, and it let it let us feel like we're in this levity again. And that's what the, the crew does bring together is this joy for just being around each other. And regardless of the situation, you know, they're out here trying to save their dead best friend and they defy all Starfleet, all Starfleet protocols to do so. And I think that kind of devotion and friendship is truly so beautiful and something that does make this movie 
successful in that circumstance. So I think you're absolutely, that's a great point. And yeah, just recapture sort of the magic of the original series for a moment where I just feel happy, you know? Well, you're going to feel even more happy next week. Oh my (laughs) God. So you know how you were like, this was like, you're talking about Wrath of Khan. You're like, this is the reason we did the movie series. This is my reason we're doing the movie series is because of the voyage home. I am like literally trembling with excitement. I'm so pumped for next week, Ashley. I mean, who does not love the whale movie? Come on. <laughs> the one with the whales is just one of a kind. <laughs> so so good. Well, Rihanna, this has been really lovely to talk to you. And it was so lovely to have dad on last week talking about Wrath of Khan. But I also just love having the two of us getting to dive into whatever nitty gritty details whether yeah. they're about you know like something tragic that's happened or something <laughs> or really... some looks that were fire <laughs> some fire looks exactly so yeah. thank you for joining me this week and i really hope you will join in i think rihanna has already booked her slot on the podcast <laughs> um, <laughs> but i hope the rest of you will as well to talk about the fourth movie in our series star trek the voyage home <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Dura Sisters podcast. Please tune in next week for the fourth episode of our movie series, where Ashlyn and Rihanna will discuss Star Trek The Voyage Home. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. Also take a moment to check out our content on Tumblr and TikTok. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, the animated series, and Star Trek trivia. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. So far, we have covered these podcast series, pilot episodes, family, love and affection, time travel, and villains. If you haven't heard a particular series, please go back and listen to any of these awesome episodes. Social media and marketing is done by Rihanna Hurd and Ashlyn Gelman. Editing is done by Ashlyn Gelman and Rihanna Hurd. Our intro, Klingon Battle, was written by Jerry Goldsmith. And our outro, Worst Revenge, is by Arillo Voltaire. Sometimes I wish that That I could wish it all away. No more rainy days without you.